Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk and daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. So we're starting a new series today. If you have not uh, joined a small group, you can still do that this week. And the series we're starting is um, The Supernatural Ways of Royalty. It's by Chris Vallotson. If you have your, if you've got your handouts, you can grab that and start to fill in some blanks and follow along. If you haven't got that and you have no idea what I'm talking about, would you like one? Just fire your hand up. Some of the ushers will get you a handout and they'll get it into your hand so you can follow along. There should be a pen in front of you if you need one. So we're going to walk through this series this fall because I believe that it is important for us to discover your rights and privileges of being a son or daughter of God. We walk through the fruit of the Spirit so we understand when we're connected to God that the fruit of the Spirit should be just coming out of us. This is what should be our example to people because of our relationship with Jesus. But the other side of that is when you are in a relationship with Jesus, you have privileges. Now how many people know that your sons and daughters have privileges that other kids don't. Right? See, when I went up to my mom and my dad and I asked to borrow the car when I was a teenager, I had a privilege, I realized it was a privilege, it wasn't a right. I had a privilege of them saying yes to me. So all the teenagers, I hope you heard that part. You don't have a right to take the car, it's a privilege because it's not your car. All the parents in the house said, If you want that privilege, teenager, secret, if you want that privilege to happen more often, bring it back with a full tank of gas. <laughs> right. But how many people know that if somebody else's son or daughter comes to you and asks to borrow your car, it's a little more challenging, right? They don't really have that privilege. I know some of you are kind and would do that, But it's out of your kindness of your heart. It's not a privilege. And so we need to understand, because we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have certain privileges. And that's what we're going to talk about this fall. We just want to talk to you about your identity in Jesus Christ. One of the verses that we're going to go from is Proverbs 30, verse 21 to 22a. It says this, Under three things the earth trembles. Under four it cannot bear up. The first one, a servant who becomes king. How many of you realize that Jesus doesn't even call you a servant, he calls you a friend? You're a friend. So the moment we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are his friend. So the moment, here's what you need to understand. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you become an heir with him. That means we are sons and daughters of God. That means, Mike, you are a prince. It means, Libby, you are a princess. Men in the room, you are a prince. Ladies in the room, you are a princess. See, I tell my little girl, Emma, I tell her every day that she's my princess. Because I want her to grow up 
with an understanding of who she is and with a higher level of expectation on how she should be treated. So when a guy pulls up in the driveway to pick her up and honks the horn and doesn't get out of the car, she just waits in the house. Not because she's high maintenance or high demanding, because she understands who she is. Another hint, guys. Get out of the car. Go to the door. (laughs) But this is an understanding who we are. We set the level of how we're treated. Now, I understand that there's a balance in today's society because we struggle in today's society with a high level of entitlement, and I'm not talking about entitlement. Okay? talking about who we are in Christ. We are sons and daughters. I like the message version of this verse. It says this, three things are too much for even the earth to bear. Yes, four things shake its foundations when the janitor becomes the boss. And I'm not knocking anybody here that's a janitor. I'm not. But how many people have ever watched Undercover Boss? Isn't it kind of neat to watch? And what happens is, all of a sudden these people are in these different positions and they get this recruit and they're walking them through and training them. And I love these side interviews because they're training this person who is the CEO of the company. But a lot of times they haven't done the small jobs. And so their employees are like, I would fire this person. They should not be doing this job. And I love the end when they walk into the office, they're trying to figure out why am I being called to the head office? How many people ever get sent to the principal's office? Keep your hands up high. Students, turn around and look, see if your parents' hands are up. If you ever sit to the principal's office, you know what it's like. All of a sudden, you're walking in. You're walking into the office, and you're like, man, what did I do? I've been called to the principal's office many times in my life. I know it's hard to imagine. And when I got there, there was only once or twice where it was out of a good thing, and that still gave me a heart attack. Because you're walking down the hall, and you're like, there's two things going on through my head. One, what did they find out I did? And Lord, please let it not be that thing. And so as I get in the office, all of a sudden you sit there, and when it's a good thing, you're like, oh, can we meet like in the cafeteria next time? Like, come on. And they come in, they sit down, and all of a sudden they look across the room, and they're like, I, I, I was going to fire you, and you could fire me. This is what the world is talking about. This is what the scripture is talking about, is all of a sudden that shift And what's struggling is this. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you go from a sinner to a prince or a princess. Like that. There's a confidence in that. There's a strengthening inside of us. And see, when we're put into a position of leadership that we haven't earned yet, it shocks people. When I worked at Lakeshore Camp, I was there for my first summer, and I still, honestly, to this day, I realize God got me the job, but I don't know how I got the job. I told you before, like, I've never sent a resume. My buddy just called me and said, they need somebody. Do you want the job? I showed up, and they thought I knew a bunch of maintenance stuff, and I worked retail for years. And so they're, like, teaching me how to ride a lawnmower, and then they're, like, you know how to do this. And I'm, like, no, no idea. And then they show me how to use one of those big whippersnippers, and then I got my boss, like, sorry, you probably know how to do this. I'm, like... Nope, no idea. Then they went to let me drive the big front end loader at the back home. 
They didn't bank on the fact that I knew how to do that. But there's so many things. And all of a sudden, as I was going through this journey, as I pulled up to the camp, I pulled off to the side of the road. I still had uh, cigarettes in my door. I knew what I was doing just a few weeks beforehand. And I'm trying to figure out, God, how am I here? And I was praying through with God, and I'm like, God, I can mess up in a heartbeat because there's still stuff that comes out of my mouth that's not supposed to come out of my mouth because of the lifestyle that I was living and trying to get away from. And, and all of a sudden, I felt God say this, Chad, you're not going to cut grass all summer. I didn't know what that meant. And so I just, okay. And I drove into the camp, and as I go across the tracks into the camp, just this peace came over me. And as I was there, I started, um, my boss became a good friend of mine. We started lifting weights together. We started hanging out together. And we would work all day doing maintenance. And how many people know that if you've been in retail for years, and then you go shoveling stones and filling bags of sand and doing a whole lot of labor, um, it could be a little shock to your body. And so I'm doing this, but I'm also lifting weights. And all of a sudden, my boss realized, and I realized, I have this massive bump on my arm, and it's bruised and it hurts my arm to move and so my boss looks at it and he goes what's that and I'm like I have no idea and he's like you should get that checked out I'm like oh it's fine so I go and I sit down at dinner and his boss is sitting across from me and he goes what's wrong with your arm and I'm like I have no idea you should go check that out I'm like I'm fine he goes no you're going to go to the hospital now and so I went to the hospital, and when I got to the hospital, I found out, I didn't know you could do this, but I overworked my arm so much that my muscle um, sprung a leak. And so I had blood just in my arm, and they told me I can't use my arm for like two weeks. And I don't know if you've ever worked at a Christian camp, um, but they don't really believe in a Sabbath, which is kind of funny, but... Um, so to go back and tell them, I can't work, like I worked all the time, and so... As I drove back to the camp, I went to my boss and I said, look, here's, I had a note because I knew, I'm like, if I tell them, this ain't going to happen. So I actually had a doctor's note and he's like, dude, I need you working. He's like, can you drive a lawnmower with your other hand? I'm like, well, we can try it. Let's see what happens. And because I wasn't really cutting grass and all these things. And then all of a sudden my buddy calls me that got me the job and he was going through some stuff in his life that wasn't really um, lining up with his walk with God and lining up to work at the camp. And he went to the head people of our district in eastern Ontario. So he didn't get called to the principal's office. He walked into it, confessed what he had done. And he knew that the moment he confessed that he's going to be dismissed. It's just the way it worked. And so he got dismissed. He was their program director. So he had worked at this camp for years. And as the program director, you have all these counselors working under you and all these things. And all of a sudden, as he's packing up and I'm in his room helping him because he's got to go home... I get a radio call that now the district superintendent wants to see me. So now I'm getting called to the principal's office. But this time we are meeting in the cafeteria, so it was a little bit nicer. And I walk downstairs, and he offers me the program director's job. What you have to realize is, as the program director, there's about 12 teenagers, 12 counselors that work for him. A lot of these counselors have worked most of their teenage lives at this camp, and their whole idea is that when my buddy's done his job and he moves on, one of them is going to take his position. So the moment they knew that he wasn't there anymore, they were already talking amongst themselves who was taking his job. And then all of a sudden, when I walked into the room and they announced that I was taking his job, I saw their faces. This look of, he's been here for a month, he doesn't even know this camp, he doesn't know how any of this is run. 
And I was nervous. Because here I am put into a position that I didn't earn. I didn't deserve. And truthfully, I had no idea what I was doing. But I remembered back when God said, you're not going to cut grass all summer. And because I went through this job, because I worked with these teenagers and ended up helping run all the programs for the camp that summer, I started working not just with the counselors, but with actual students. And as I was working with the students and I was speaking into their lives, all of a sudden, this little flame that I thought wasn't in me anymore started to fan. And I started to think, maybe I'm supposed to go to Bible college. Maybe I'm supposed to do this. And so I started talking to the men of God that were around me that saw something in me that I didn't see. And as I spoke to them, they all looked at me and said, well, of course. And so I am where I am today because I was put into a position I didn't deserve. God likes to take us and put us into places that other people don't think we deserve. The Bible tells us he uses the foolish to make the wise look foolish. God will elevate you in your life. And you'll think, I don't deserve this. And you know what? Earthly mindset, maybe not. But heavenly mindset, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. But many of us, we have what in the book they call a pauper mentality. And a pauper is a very poor person or a down and outer. And a lot of us, we have this mentality that that's who we are. And I'm not discussing or talking about our outer elements of society and in the place that we're in. I'm talking a lot about our spiritual mindset and who we think we are. And we can't let our outer situations influence our spiritual ones. See, here's the thing. I believe that God heals today. Just like he did when Jesus was walking. Just as Peter's shadow healed people, I believe one day my shadow can heal people. Not because of me, but because of God. So here's, here's what I mean by not letting our outer situations influence what we believe. I pray for people all the time and I don't see them get healed. But I still believe that God heals today. That's not my responsibility after I pray. Because I truly believe that if you get healed and because I prayed with you, it's because of Jesus, not because I prayed. So therefore, if it's not because I prayed and it's because of Jesus, if you don't get healed, it's not because of me either. So I can't take credit and I can't get blamed. All of it weighs on my God. The only thing that I'm supposed to do is be obedient. And so I pray all the time for the sick. And when they don't get healed, I can't explain it. I'm the same as you. I have prayed for friends and loved ones and then I've stood at their funeral. I can't explain it. But I have prayed for people. And they've been healed. And some of them healed instantly on the spot. And I'll tell you something that elevates your faith. And encourages you to pray more. See, witnessing to our neighbors and our coworkers is hard when we paint a picture that our life sucks.
If you complain to your coworkers all the time about your life, and they don't serve God, and you do, it's really hard to convince them to serve God. Because they're going to go, I actually think my life's okay. And you don't say anything positive about yours. The only difference I see in our lives is you serve Jesus, I don't. I'm good. Now, do we go through hard times in our lives? Absolutely. It's a matter of fact. But when you serve God, we can stand on his word. And we are going to get through it. Because of who we serve. And that's what your co-workers need to see. They need to see you in the struggle, but still confident and happy. That's why James tells us, be joyful in the trials. These are all things that are hard. Chris Ballatson says this on page 22 of his book. A leader who is in slavery internally cannot free those who are in slavery externally. If inside of me, I can't get past who I think I am, or the lies of the enemy that he's whispering that to me that I am, if I can't get past those, how am I going to help people in this world? I wrestle with thoughts and I wrestle with the uh, lies of the enemy and who I am as a person all the time. I don't want to stand up here and make you think that, well, Chad's confident, he has it all together. Not at all. Not at all. I am confident in the Lord. I told one of our board of directors after our meeting, we were talking just about life, and I said, it was interesting how this transition went, Pastor Charles. It was interesting because, do I don't know if anybody else realized, do you realize this is one year to the day of the vote? And I remember when you came to my office and you talked about going to the board to start the idea of this behind the scenes of getting it working. And it was only a few months or maybe just, actually before you came and talked to me, it was probably just a week before you came and talked to me about it that I actually said to Melissa, and I've been doing youth ministry for probably about eight years, and I remember looking at Melissa and going, you know what? I actually don't think I suck as a youth pastor. I actually think I can do this. And honestly, it was that week or the next week that Pastor Charles walked in my office and said, I'm going to go to the board and we're going to start this. And all I thought was, thanks Lord, I got confident in one area, now you're going to throw me into another. But he'll do that so our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in him. Because the moment you think you can do something on your own is the moment he'll push you farther because then you need him. Because I don't know about you, but I'm a human being. And if I think I can do it on my own, especially as a guy, I'm going to do it on my own. How many guys have almost lost fingers carrying groceries in from the car? Right? Right? Uh, it's probably about three trips. I got this. <laughs> right? Like, if we can do it on our own, we're going to do it. And that's why God will push us to a point. If you ever felt like, I feel like he's pushing me beyond what I can do. No, no, he's pushing you to a point where you know you need him. Because if you're like me, and you think you can do it on your own, you're going to do it on your own. And this is why he pushes us. If we want to help set people free from some of life's struggles by showing them how to walk with Jesus, then we ourselves need to be freed. That's why this morning I believe God wants to set people free. You have to realize that the first 40 years of Moses' life when he was raised in the kingdom 
when he was raised as a prince, are just as important as his 40 years in the wilderness. Because he was able to lead those people because he understood who he was. Do you realize that he could go, as much as he was nervous, and he says, choose somebody else who can't speak right, all these things, his training raising himself up, he knew how to present himself before Pharaoh. Every part of your life is important for what God is calling you to. Even the parts that just stink. He's getting you through them so you can do what he's called you to do. We learn as we grow. We can use everything in our life for good or for bad. It's up to us actually to make a decision. When you go through something bad in your life, you can choose to create this element of identity and this negativity. Or you can choose to learn from it. When we learn from the struggles, we can help minister to people who are in them. This is why people will draw closer to God or walk away from him in the struggles. Chris opens up, Chris Vallison, he's and Bill Johnson wrote this book, and we're just, I want you to know as we go through this book, you're going to hear lots of quotes from it, but I want you to know that how it's spoken to the staff is where you're going to hear from, because this book has just changed the way I see myself and changed the way I live my life, and I want to share it with you so you can do the same, because he says this, we will always reproduce the environment around you that you cultivate within you. You will always reproduce the environment around you that you cultivate within you. See, many of us, we believe that tearing each other down actually makes us feel better. So Rick, if I, if I tear you down, I, I feel better about myself. But what we don't realize is I've hurt him and I'm standing on false security. And we'll use uh, insults, we'll use sarcasm, which one person told me I believe is so truly and I have to deal with this because I can be very sarcastic. Um, Is sarcasm is disrespect wrapped in humor. And we talked about this when we talked about self-control, but correcting people for no reason to just want to be right. And I'm bad for this, and I've been watching this for this part, is trying to up one stories. Have you ever been in conversations with friends and everybody's trying to up one somebody? You just have an, somebody has an innocent story to tell you from their vacation. And they tell you, and they caught a fish this big, and then you tell the story, you caught a fish this big, and then somebody caught a fish this big, and then all of a sudden you had to have multiple boats like the disciples. When at the end of it, your buddy just wanted to tell you they had a good vacation. And maybe they were excited about their fish this big. And now they walk away feeling bad about themselves. But you feel good. I call it one-upping. And I've been involved in it. And since a friend of mine said, Chad, you like to one-up. I didn't know what he meant, and he explained it to me, just to explain it to you. And now I sit in conversations with friends and family and people, and when somebody tells a story, automatically there's a story in my head. And when I want to share it, I have to check in my heart, why do I want to share this story? Well, I think it's better than Damien's story. 
Well, then you know what I try to tell myself? Sorry for the kids in the room. I'm just like, Chad, shut up. You don't need to say it. There's no point. And so I try to catch myself, and this is a part of it. Loving one another. See, Chris, he walks through this, and he says this on page 27 of his book. He says, even though I found Christ at the age of 18, and it was many years before I dealt with my low self-esteem, as a result, my behavior continued, and I still didn't have a clue how badly I was devastating people with my humor. I should have understood it because I was the main victim of my own humor. I often made my faults the brunt of my own jokes. And I had been used to feeling bad about myself for a long time. And the culture of pain imprisoned my soul within me. But the Lord was determined to help me make a jailbreak. Many of us in this room, we thought poorly of ourselves for a long time. And I believe through this series, there's going to be a jailbreak for you. And I believe that the Lord has a huge calling on everybody's life in this room. I don't care if you're the youngest in this room. I don't care if you're the oldest. I believe God still has a calling for you today. He wants to use every one of us. We just need to believe it, and we need to believe in ourselves. The things that we don't like about ourselves as adults, we didn't see as kids. So you realize we only feel insecure about ourselves or think less of ourselves because of things we've heard. Because of the things we've heard in our lives, I believe that God wants to change the way you think about yourself. We need to hear what God says and not what the enemy is whispering to us. See, when I watched this video, I remember as a kid all the things that people used to make fun of me about. I was one of those kids in, in grade school that got beat up most of my life through grades five to seven. There's just some kids, we call it bullying today. I called it just getting beat up every day. And then all of a sudden, in about grade, the summer between grade seven and grade eight, I grew. I know it doesn't look like it. But this was about as high as I grew. But in grade eight, at that time, this was actually tall. And my shoulders have always been wide. And so all of a sudden in grade eight, they couldn't really beat me up anymore. And there's still times, and I'm, I hope you realize I'm fine with my height. I'm now 37. I realize that I'm vertically challenged. I'm good. Every once in a while I hear that song, though, I wish it was a little bit taller, I wish it was a baller. I know, if you don't know it, don't worry about it. It's kind of my motto as I grew up. But it was these parts of me where, as a kid, it wasn't necessarily insults about my physical body, but it was about how I interacted and how I taught and how I spoke and how I just did different things at school that my teachers, now I look back, my teachers saw the leadership ability in me, so they gave me opportunities to lead. They put me in places where I could lead, but the dilemma with that is how many people know that when you're younger, if you get to do something and your friends don't, they make fun of you for it. So my whole life I got made fun of, and the whole life even some adults began to tell me what was wrong with me, or I used to get this comment all the time, and I 
still, I think, don't ever compliment somebody this way. Hey, I just want you to know you're great. You're just you're so different. Thanks. Sounds like a vote of confidence. And so I was told I was different. And it took me till, honestly, my early 30s to realize what was weird about me was I was a leader. And so if you've met my son, he's a little bit like me. And we lead. And so I'm watching as I raise him to make sure that when he's doing something that I think might be taken the wrong way, because he's eight, so an eight-year-old at his age can come across as bossy, when what it is is he's leading. And I'm trying to figure out, how do I mold this young man? How do I mold this young man to be a leader so he doesn't have to figure out in his early 30s that there's nothing wrong with him? And I think some of you, you're sitting here today, you could be in your teens, you could be in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, your 80s, your 90s, anybody in 100? I was going to get a clap for you if you were. But you could be any age and still think there's something wrong with you when it's a God-given gift. God's put it in you. And we want to walk through this idea of who we are. Because see, God calls you an heir with Christ, which means you are a prince and a princess. Or a princess, sorry. You're not both. One or the other. Chris tells a story in in the book where Bill Johnson walks up to him, hands him an envelope and says, somebody wanted to bless you and he gives him an envelope and he opens up the envelope, looks inside and sees a check for $3,000. And he freaks out. He's like, somebody gave us a check for $3,000. And he's jumping, he's excited, and Bill's laughing. And he's like, what? He's like, I think you should read that check again. And so he looked inside, and it wasn't $3,000. It was $30,000. So now he just goes crazy. Because he can't believe the blessing that God has given him. But then he goes through something that's interesting. If you've ever received a gift, this is what sometimes happens. He realized he starts avoiding the person that gave it to him. He realizes that he won't make eye contact walking through the halls. And if he actually sees the person, he kind of scoots out of the room. And he said to the point where he finally realized he needed to pray about it, the person walked into one side of the sanctuary. He ran out the other one and had to hide in the bathroom. And when he got in the bathroom, he realized this is not normal. What is wrong with me? And so he prayed and he asked God, he said, God, what's going on? And he said, again, he heard the voice of God. And again, hear me, that's more of just in part, you feel this in yourself. You kind of feel these ideas and thoughts and you know they're not yours and you believe they're Jesus. And he felt God say to him, you don't think you're worthy of receiving $30,000. You're afraid that if that person gets to know you better they'll regret ever giving you the money. And he began to realize that he has such low self-esteem of himself that if he thought if people got to know him, they wouldn't want to be around him. And there's many of us in this room, we hide some of our faults, we hide who we are, we, we pray that some people sitting beside us at this very moment won't get to know us that well because if they really get to know us, they may not like us. It's a struggle for me. 
I'm very open and honest as I, as I talk from up here that I am not perfect. You just need to be around me for a short, short, short period of time and you will find it out. So there's a part of me that if you truly knew who I was, if you truly knew the thoughts that happen in this head, if you truly knew the struggles in my life, you might not ever want me up here and sitting there. But as I begin to identify who I am in Christ, I begin to realize who he has called me to be and who he sees me as. We don't need to listen to the enemy. We need to change the way we think about ourselves. We need to learn to love ourselves. John Maxwell, he says this, people change when they hurt enough, they have to change. They learn enough, they want to change. Or they receive enough, they're able to change. This is when we change. We change when we hurt enough. We change when we've learned more. We change when we receive more. You're learning this morning. I hope that you're learning this morning who you are going to who you are in Christ and that your mindset can be different because you are a prince and a princess. If you ever wonder why you're going through the same thing over and over and over again, it feels like what happened at this workplace and I left because, well, they sucked and it was a horrible job and the bosses were stupid and I moved over here to this place and guess what? This job sucks, it's a horrible place and the bosses are stupid. If it's happening in all the places you go, maybe God's telling you something. If relationships keep ending for the same reason, maybe God's telling you something. See, here's what I've learned in my life. The more I get into struggles and hard times and I can't figure out why I can't get out of it, here's what I begin praying. I actually don't pray for God to get me out of the situation. I begin to ask God, what are you trying to teach me in this situation? Because if I learn it faster, and if I learn it the first time, I'll get out of it faster, and Lord willing, I'll remember what I learned and don't have to go back to it. Sometimes he's teaching us. Chris says on page 30 of his book, he says, Therefore, the experience I received that whatever someone values us more than we value ourselves, we tend to sabotage our relationship with that person. Secretly, we don't want them to get close enough to find out that we aren't as good as they think we are. I've done this. What if people find out that I'm not perfect? What if people find out that I'm not a perfect Christian? I'm not a perfect father? I'm not a perfect friend or a pastor? What if people find out in those moments we'll sabotage relationships when what we should be doing is trying to encourage each other and lift each other up? So how do we stop the pauper mentality? Second point, never enough. We let the The enemy will lie to us and he wants us to believe that the well is going to dry up. He wants you to believe that whatever it is that you need in your life, there's not enough of it. Whether you struggle with finances or with love or affirmation, we believe that it's going to run out in our lives. I grew up in a home that was by a single mom 
My stepdad came in the picture years later. He made some bad choices, and it was basically um, a single income from my, my mom, who's a hairdresser out of our home. So I grew up not having a lot of things. I grew up knowing that if I wanted something, I had to work so I could get the money to get it. My parents, my mom and my dad and my stepmom and my stepdad are phenomenal parents. They did the best they could do. I'm not knocking them. But I understood my situation. And because of that situation, there's a part of me inside that has a hard time trusting God when he provides. So as I stand before you and I ask for next Sunday that we're going to give half of the offering away, I don't want you to think, oh, Chad has a lot of faith. No, no, this took a long time for me to get here because most of my life, I always thought that money was going to run out. If you've ever missed out on something as a kid, and if your parents told you it was because of finances, it sticks with you. I missed out on a lot of things. And if I got to do them, it's because I worked my tail off to pay for them. And so there's a part of me that has a hard time trusting God as my provider. Because I didn't see it as a kid. Now, I never missed a meal. We had everything we needed. But how many people know that as a kid, you understand wants as well? And so there's a part of me that has a hard time. And I struggle. In our areas of struggle, was a plan in this. In our areas of struggle, God will stretch us. I have seen God do things in my life in the last few months in the area of finances that have blown my mind. But we celebrate the small things. Richard and I, we talk a lot and we actually text each other because we, we celebrate small things. And we text each other to celebrate the fact that we get parking spots, good ones, that still have time on the meters. <laughs> but I don't know about you, but as I'm driving downtown in the summer, and there's tourism, I don't know about you, but you become an intercessor looking for a parking spot. <laughs> and when you find it, because I'm lazy, and you find it right outside the front door of the place you're going to, I believe it's Jesus. Saying, Chad, don't walk. And when I get there, and there's like an hour left in the meter, I thank the Lord. Because I believe if I thank him for a meter, he will give me more. And we have to be thankful, because God tells us that he doesn't want us to worry. Psalms 37 25 says, I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. So as much as there was wants in my life as a kid, I never, never missed out on what I needed. The Lord provided. And as I get older, I see that, but it doesn't mean it doesn't affect my thought process of what I learned as a kid. And we see that in the video of 
When we were young, our thoughts are innocent, our thoughts are positive of ourselves, but they change the older we get. Matthew 6, 25, Jesus says this, and most of us know this. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It is not, is not life more important, or more than food and the body, and more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run around, run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You were created in God's image. He sent his son to die for you. Chris says this on page 35, the revelation of our true identity will destroy the spirit of poverty in our lives. Until that happens, we will keep thinking there are limits on what we can get, what we get to have. Philippians 4.9, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. Now I realize that there's a tension here. I realize that some of you are sitting here saying, Chad, the Bible tells us to be good stewards. And I realize that. Be good stewards. We have to be good stewards of what God gives us. I understand that. But Chris wrote this and it really challenged me when I read it. I'm telling you, I'm sharing this book with you because how it challenged me. Here's what he wrote. And when you hear what he says, I want you to test your own heart. Check your own heart. Because he says this when it comes to stewardship. I know there is a real need for true stewardship in the body of Christ, but much of what is called stewardship in the church is simply fear that has disguised itself as wisdom. Am I not giving because I believe God's told me not to? Or am I not giving because I believe he won't give back or he won't provide? Two stories and then I close. I realize we're supposed to be good stewards. I'm not knocking that. A friend of mine, he's a pastor, he's a mentor, and he told me of a lady in his church. She started attending, she gave her heart to the Lord, and then he, she came to him and said, I want to tell you, pastor, I started tithing. And he's like, oh, cool, that's great. If you don't know what tithing is, it's just what we believe, it's what I believe. I give a tenth of what comes to me from my work or any money that comes in, I give a tenth back to Jesus. And so we have a great giving church here, so if you don't have a plan to give, I encourage you to give. But we're doing well as a church, so I thank you that are giving. I thank you. So I don't want you to hear that. But she said this. He's like, well, why did you start giving? 
you're gonna, some of you will laugh at this. As a pastor, any pastors in the room, you're going to go, man, I wish it was that easy. She said, well, you said I was supposed to. <laughs> she was that easy. And he, she said this to him, here is what I've seen since I started giving. I was saving up my money to buy this coat. And when I went in to buy the coat, I got enough money, I went in to buy it. And it was half price. And pastor, every time I go into the store, whether it's groceries or whether it's something I need for the house or something broke and I have to go replace it, when I go in, what I realize, it's all on sale. I'm not saying everything's going to be on sale for you. But I do believe that if we trust God in our finances, if we trust God in every area of our life, he will bless us. The dilemma is we don't thank him for the sales. We don't thank him for the parking meters. We don't thank him for the empty spots. Because we just kind of go, well, that was a nice coincidence. But if we talk about coincidences in church, many of you will correct me and go, hold on, Chad, there's not coincidence. Then start believing that outside these walls. Start believing that when you got out of the car and you found a loony on the ground to pay for your parking so you don't get a ticket, that God put the loony on the ground. I believe God cares about so many little things. My daughter got out of the car after the carnival at our house, and it's like 10 o'clock at night. She should have been in bed about an hour and a half ago. And she drops her bouncy ball. You know the crazy balls that bounce all over the place? She drops one of those on my driveway in the dark. My driveway is sloped to the road. She's like, Dad, i got to find my bouncy ball. Me being the good supportive dad, we'll find it in the morning. I know it's gone. I take them to school the next day. I back into the driveway. I get out of the driveway. I'm doing some stuff. I look. Here on my sloped driveway is a ball sitting by itself. I actually thank the Lord because there's no way a ball, especially a bouncy ball, drops out of a kid's hand and stops on a sloped driveway. Now, that was a prayer that if you ever had bouncy balls in your house, I would have been fine if you didn't answer. <laughs> but for a little girl, it's huge. Be a good steward, but don't be fearful. Trust him, but hear his voice. Don't believe that if you give to God, you'll be a check in your mailbox. But watch for him to be faithful in all the little things. There's times where I've felt God tell us to give money away. And we've given large sums of money away. And I'm expecting tenfold. Come on, Lord. You want to know what I get? All of a sudden I realize that I believe through the weeks and through the months afterwards that I actually can hear God's voice more. I didn't get a check in the mail, but I got a deeper relationship with him. See, our blessings that we believe we'll receive are different than the blessings he might give you because we believe in finances, he believes in spirit. That doesn't mean he won't look after your finances, but don't be depending on them. With this, I close. Psalms 112. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great deal, delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. 
The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. You are a child of God. You, some of you might need to hear this part. You have value. You are valued. You are a prince. You are a princess. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this book. I thank you for the words that you have given Chris and Bill to write. Lord, I believe that you want this for the end days so that a church and a children of God can rise up to be who you've called them to be, to be an authority, to walk with for you, to fight for you, to honor you. So Lord, encourage us, help every one of us to be princes and princesses and to walk, Lord, in that confidence. I pray this morning, Father, that people begin to understand who they are and I break off the lies of the enemy of who they, that he says they are. They begin to look in the mirror and see their worth, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Set hearts and minds free this morning. If you're here this morning, just eyes closed for a minute. If you're here this morning and you're like, Chad, I want to have that identity in Christ. I want to be able to be a son and a daughter of him. And you said, I just need to ask him into my heart. But I haven't done that before. If you're here this morning and you want to ask Jesus into your life for the very first time so that you can call him father and he can call you son or daughter, if that's you, just raise your hand up and I'm going to pray with you this morning. If you want to accept Jesus for the very first time, just lift your hand straight up. If you're here this morning and you just feel that you've slipped away from God and you want to come back to him and restore the relationship with him this morning and you want to get right with him this morning with eyes closed, if that's you, just raise your hand. I just want to pray with you this morning. You just want to get right with the Lord this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else want to join these three? Raise your hand nice and high. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's stand together. If you raised your hand this morning and just want to get your life right with the Lord, I'm just going to ask you to take another step. If that's you, I just want to ask you to come and stand with me. Come and join me at the front. Thanks, buddy. Anybody else want to come and join? Here's what I need you to do. I want you to ask the person standing beside you. Genuinely ask them and say, do you need to go to the front? If you need to go, I will go with you. Turn, ask your neighbor. And if they say yes, bring them. Come with them because we know that it can be nervous to come to the front. Thank you, guys. Can I just get a couple of our prayer team, a couple of guys just to come and stand with these men up here? Can I get a lady to come from our, can I get a lady from our prayer team to come? Just join us up over here. All our ladies could be gone. Oh, Janet, thank you. Let's pray. 
I want everybody just to repeat after me. Father, thank you for sending your son to die for us sinners. This morning we give our hearts to you. We ask you, Jesus, come into our hearts. Forgive us. Heal us. Restore us. Help us to understand who we are in you. We are sons and daughters. Prince and princesses. Lord, I ask you to come into my heart and lead me for the rest of my days. I want to follow you forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just give them a hand? This is what it's all about. People coming to know Jesus. People coming back to a relationship with him. If you wonder why I get you to ask your neighbors because of this. And so, Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we pray for your blessing in this place. Lord, I pray as people walk out these doors that you strengthen them, that you love on them. That, Father, they are encouraged to know who they are in you. Strengthen them and lead them, Father. Lord, I pray blessing over their families and over their marriages and over their homes. Draw loved ones back to you. Father, let us be your light in our workplaces. Give us a great week. Keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for checking out this week's message. Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you. And that you come back and check out next week's message as well. 